Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from mortifying mausoleums to mysterious music. And today we're talking about Minotaurs. All right, Brian. This it's time. W- it's time for the Mighty Minotaur. The Mighty Minotaur. Um, so this was a bit of a conflicting episode for me because did I make it a monster episode or a race episode? It's the same thing that happened with Lizard Folk. Oh, yeah. So I aired on the side of race, but I basically divided this episode into two. There's going to be a monster section and then a more racial section. Okay. Races right. of the mythos. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, mythos of the realms. <laughs> All right, so minotaurs are large and physically powerful humanoid bull hybrids. Yeah. Essentially, they have the body of a man covered in coarse hair and the head of a bull or cow. Cool. Um, they have hooved legs and their their hands are humanish, but they're kind of like meaty claws. Big meaty claws. All right. Indeed. I, so I understand. On, on average, they stand about seven feet tall and weigh about 350 pounds. God so damn. Fucking huge. Yeah. Uh, they're noted to be fierce and powerful fighters. Who wins in a bugbear matchup? Ooh. Minotaur. Okay. <laughs> Minotaur has a challenge rating of three. He'll fuck up a bugbear. Okay. Minotaur has a higher challenge rating than a fucking ogre. What about the racial stat blocks? Even. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, isn't I mean, that the way yeah, it's supposed to exactly, be? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so we're going to talk about uh, the Minotaur in a few different capacities today. Um, in most edition, Minotaurs are evil and ferocious monsters, but in some specific settings, they're far more civilized and uh, specked out as like playable races. Okay. 
So, yeah, a lot to talk about. Obviously, no. the Minotaur is not a D&D original. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got Greco-like yeah, disturbing D- origins. <laughs> the D&D Minotaur is based off the creature from Greek mythology. Uh, the Minotaur, or as it was originally pronounced, the Minotaur, uh, which was a singular monster instead of a species. Mm-hmm. It was the offspring of Pasiphae, the queen of Crete, and the wife of Minos, and uh, a magical white bull, sometimes thought to be Poseidon in disguise. Um, basically... Uh, Minos, the king of Crete, pissed off Poseidon, so Poseidon cursed his wife to fuck a cow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what you're happened. You're not wrong, bro. dude. I, you're not wrong. Uh, some lustful, just nasty stuff happened, and that's there you go. And then birth, and then so this yeah, dude she, was like, "I'm gonna have a baby," and yeah, she's like, and she, she birthed the Minotaur, yeah, the Minotaur, um, which it, I mean, <laughs> all things considered, it started out all right, and then, <laughs> and then it grew, it grew into a carnivorous, just, carnivorous human eating monster. Expecting you to say. If I th- I'm trying to think back, like what was he gonna? St- what did I think was gonna happen? I <laughs> so guess not that. It started off being fairly docile, but it grew into a carnivorous human-eating monster. Yeah, probably because the king was like, "Uh." But instead of killing it, King uh, Mino or Mino, uh, Minos, Minos, whatever, ha- he had a labyrinth built. I'm just gonna lock you up, bro. <laughs> and he he placed the monster to be held there for all time. Eventually, the Minotaur was killed by a Athenian hero called Theseus, who. It's, this isn't the time for it, but Theseus was a fucking asshole. <laughs> I mean, that he was being a demigod, said, right? Nah, he was a he was a dickhead. He's just a dude. <laughs> he was just a dude oh. who, uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about Theseus today. But you should look him up because he's a dick. Anyways, <laughs> Theseus going to get his own episode or something? <laughs> no, no, he's not. Okay. <laughs> so much like the Greek version. So we're never going to talk about Theseus. <laughs> okay. So the reason I said Theseus is a dick is, um, he before he leaves to slay the Minotaur and. Uh, um, basically save the people being sacrificed to it, which is a nice thing to do. Um, he promises to send the ship back. Okay, he promises that when he returns, he will he will uh, have white sails to show that he succeeded. Mm. And if he's died, if he's failed, the ship will come back and it'll have black sails. Okay. So, so when he gets to the labyrinth, he um, he meets the daughter of King Minos, uh, who falls in love with him and helps him and gives him all the tools he needs to get through the labyrinth. Um, and he kind of kill my half and brother. He le- and he le- yeah, basically. <laughs> and he leads her on. And then finally, when she leaves with him, he leaves her uh, on a de- deserted island uh, on a deserted island to fucking die. Aww. Yeah. And then when he's on it on his way back, he puts up the black sails. His father sees the black sails, thinks his son is dead. His only son. His father kills himself, and then he rolls in and becomes king. Yeah, no, Theseus is a fucking dick. <laughs> Anyways, much like the Greek version of the Minotaur, D&D Minotaurs are carnivorous humanoid eaters. Okay. Um, they're generally bestial and dim- dim-winded and are categorically chaotic evil. Um, All right. Okay. They have an intelligence of six, which is only one more than a wyvern. Nice. So pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> okay. <laughs> they can't get out of the fucking maze. They've been in there all his life. Well, actually, so. no, they can. They love the maze. We're going to talk about that. Oh, what? We're going to talk about that. Oh, so, so the D&D monster is supposed to be in a maze. They love mazes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their mazes are their shit. I just love that. Yeah. Oh, so, 
<laughs> so the reasoning for the universal nastiness of minotaurs is due to their <laughs> demonic origin. Yeah. Okay. So minotaurs were first brought into the world by the cultists of the demon lord Baphomet, uh, the Horn King. Mm-hmm. He's uh, the demon prince of beasts. So the cultists of Baphomet performed dark rituals. This is like originally how how minotaurs showed up. They performed dark rituals upon those in their order uh, to be granted the power of their patron and given forms in his image. Okay. Uh, Most minotaurs today are descendants of these original cultists. Minotaurs, though, they breed true. So um, now they're just kind of their own species. Although uh, cultists still do this ritual to this day to become minotaurs. Okay. Yeah. So you can become a minotaur or you can be born a minotaur. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got That's it. exactly right. And again, in the image of Baphomet, who is essentially a giant demonic minotaur. He's a big old bull. Yeah, he'll get his own episode okay. for sure. He's the he's also the mortal enemy of Yinagu, the demon lord of gnolls. Right. So, yeah, they'll, they'll both get their own episodes. So the, prefer, the preferred environ of choice for minotaurs are mazes and labyrinths. <laughs> yeah, okay. But since those are not, like, naturally occurring. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a sect of minotaurs that are, like, hippies that are, like, the world is a big labyrinth if you think about it, bro. Right, well, kind of. <laughs> Most minotaurs settle on caverns, ruins, and forests. Sure, natural uh, mazes. The more confusing and convoluted uh, and, and the more the sense of direction is inhibited, the better. So maybe the Feywilds? Maybe not really, but I could maybe I could see that. Okay, yeah, definitely I could see that. Um, the reason for uh this uh, the reason that they love labyrinths is all minotaurs have this uncanny and innate ability to both memorize and visualize visualize all and any routes within their home. Wow, um, okay. and they use this power to advantageously close in on their prey and ambush them. Okay, so despite being very very unintelligent they have this bizarre intelligence they have like really good they're just really good at this particular thing exactly so they're probably like excellent excellent map makers yeah and i and then of course the reason the explanation for this uncanny ability is that baphomet himself lives in a giant labyrinth in the abyss okay but yeah, they're proficient in labyrinths. <laughs> they're proficient in labyrinths. <laughs> you fucking bet. So um, though most minotaurs live solitarily, uh, some live in loose tribes. Their society is male dominated. Absolutely. With females basically being relegated to slaves. All young bulls are trained are trained in combat from a young age and only obey their mothers as long as they can be physically dominated by their mothers. OK. This has less to do with gender roles and more to do with just how minotaurs fucking do everything. The strong rule. They take and they do as they will and the weak just put up with it. Okay. Uh, The tribe's chief is most often the strongest fighter and best hunter. He eats first and most. He performs acts of wanton violence on a whim and has a harem of concubines at his beck and call. In short, minotaurs are monstrous. Yeah. Yeah. They're fucking gross. (laughs) <laughs> top to bottom all yeah, the way it's gross all the way gross down all the way down until you get to, um, until you see them navigate a labyrinth and then it's just a like a just a, a sight to behold like a piece of beauty yeah, yeah. within this pure artistry yeah just, mm. that being said this is this is the vanilla minotaur lore we're gonna talk about minotaurs after the short rest that are fucking cool 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 as shit so this is like, basic vanilla D&D lore. This is lore. like basic, uh, most settings, this is your Minotaur lore. But there are other settings where Minotaurs are really fucking cool. All right. One of my favorite races throughout all of D&D. So 
we'll get into that. But for now, let's talk about the gross ones. Okay. <laughs> so minotaurs sometimes will ally themselves with other humanoid monsters of similar dispositions. Uh, trolls and ogres are probably the most common. Uh, Not gnolls. Never gnolls, right? Um, yeah. No, they don't like gnolls. No, yeah. Gnolls are too weak for them anyways. Well, the Baphomet and Yeah, thing. yeah. You're right. And, and that's definitely good flavor. It wasn't stated anywhere, but I would bet that is basically the vanilla lore on it. You're welcome. But, um... <laughs> But also, gnolls are just blatantly too weak to fucking hang with minotaurs. Okay. Uh, minotaurs are as strong as ogres, and they fuck with ogres. So okay. there cool. it is. Um, so yeah, minotaurs are strong as fuck, and a weaponless minotaur is only marginally less dangerous uh, than an armed one because their horns are natural goring weapons. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, they also kick as strong as a freaking horse. Uh, That's plus pretty good. Plus bite you or punch you. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to get bitten <laughs> or know, punched. You know, just the normal you know, humanoid <laughs> type attacks. Min- yeah, minotaur fist hurts. <laughs> So, fun facts, uh, minotaurs live about 80 years, uh, they love alcohol, uh, depending on their setting, they speak either giant, abyssal, or their own unique language. Okay, cool. Any questions about minotaurs before we get into the monster stat block? There are lots of kinds of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular? Whatever they get their hands on. They're fucking wine snobs in my book. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right. I like that. <laughs> so, um... In the monster manual, uh, Minotaur is a challenge rating three, which is a really sweet challenge rating number because it's okay. So challenge rating three monster makes an amazing uh, low level boss. So like levels one to three, Mm -hmm. Um, it makes a good mid dungeon mini boss fight uh, with if you put two minotaurs uh, between levels four to five. So that's a nice sweet thing you can do with that. Yeah. And then they make great mobs from level seven to eleven. Yeah, okay, sweet. So yeah. I find a challenge mob of minotaurs is probably hard. Yeah, six minotaurs stomp into the room. Like that's a fight. Even at level nine, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> so I I, I wanna get gored. <laughs> I really like challenge rating three. It's a really versatile challenge rating and it makes it makes minotaurs kind of fun to play with. Uh new dungeon masters, uh red Fla- uh, like be very wary of putting one of anything against a party if you want it to be challenging. True. That's why a challenge rating three is, I think, outside of like the normal range for like level one adventurers or yeah, level two sure. adventurers. But like you could probably swing it as long as the party's put together well, because uh, the many really do outpower the few in this game. Yeah. If you if you're on the lower scale, like uh, one versus four is still one versus four. I mean, on like if you got four level one players versus a dragon, they die. But like, I mean, it's not really that accurate in compared to real life, because if you put like a full-grown man up against four 10-year-olds. Like, you could put him up, up against 10 uh, 10-year-olds. Like, Probably do okay. Nothing, nothing's going to take out that man. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. But uh, yeah. in D&D, it's not like that. Well, yeah, the, the <laughs> battle mechanics take over. Indeed. Um, but still, like, just be careful if you're a new DM and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll have my f- level one party fight the Minotaur. Don't be surprised if it gets taken down in like two rounds. Or yeah, three it rounds. can happen. Although the Minotaur is pretty beefy. So uh, it's got 14 armor class, 76 HP, which is hard for level ones to take down uh, unless there's like five of them or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Dark Vision, of course, Speak Abyssal. So some of the features, uh, Labyrinth uh, Recall, the Minotaur can perfectly recall any path it has traveled. Uh, charge, if the Minotaur moves at least 10 feet straight toward a target and then hits it with a gore attack on its same turn, the target takes an extra 9 or 2d8 piercing damage. Now that's enough to take out a level 1 character right there. Yeah, that's right pretty there. good. Yeah. If the target is a creature, it must succeed on DC 14, excuse me, strength saving throw. Sorry for the audio. <laughs> uh, DC 14 strength saving throw or be pushed 10 feet away. And knocked prone. Um, and then it has a feature called Reckless. At the start of its turn, the Minotaur can gain advantage on all melee attacks uh, 
that it makes during that turn, but attack rolls against it also have advantage. So much like the barbarian feature. Okay, yeah. So this yeah. this creature does a lot of stuff that like really heckles level one characters. Yeah, so like I maybe it is a good pick. I wouldn't use uh, the Minotaur as a boss against level ones unless there's six in the party. Okay. Uh, level twos probably five in the party. Level threes four in the party. You're good. All right. Yeah. That that's just me eyeballing it. Obviously, you want to adjust it and tailor it to to your party. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, it's 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 a cool versatile challenge rating. I think minotaurs are generally cool, except for this lore kind of sucks. But I mean, it doesn't suck. They're great monsters. Well, I'm but sure, like compared to what you've got upcoming, up I just really next. like the racial stats, especially dragonlance minotaurs are super cool. Okay, but we will talk about them after the short rest. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the part of the episode we're not talking about the last thing we were talking about, because it was gross. Sorry for spending a whole minute or so just laughing at that thing you said, Will. Indeed. Um, so apologies to the listener. Uh, also to the listener, a message for you, special from my heart. I love you. I love you. As do I. Good. Good. 
hey, let's talk about Discord, where lots of people love everyone all the time. It's a great community. There's a link in the show notes below. If you want to get in on some cool D&D conversation with like-minded people, that's where you go. Fans of the Dungeon Cast, whatever. You know, they're there. Yeah, they are there. They're yeah. If you are. want to talk to someone about the show, that's the place to do it because that's where people are talking about the show. They're talking about the show. They're talking about um, our book club, TDC Reads. Oh, yeah. They're talking about um, Super Quest Saga, which is a show that we do. Uh, D&D actual play, live play. What are we calling it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lots lots of good topics and conversations. If you have questions that maybe we didn't answer in the show, you can definitely get answers there. Um, big special thanks to all of our mods. Um, you Indeed, are, thank you all you guys. You guys are doing great work. Guys rule. Um, and happy birthday again to Chemical. Happy uh, birthday. And uh, yeah, so that that's it. Let's get back to the show. Back to the show. We've returned. Indeed we have. And we're about to talk about Minotaurs in a much cooler capacity, in my opinion. Yeah. So 4E... Had its own unique take on Minotaurs, as they had their own unique take on everything. <clears throat> Adding them as a playable race in like the third player's handbook or whatever. 4A portrays Minotaurs as beings in an internal conflict between discipline and madness. They, sh- they share the same origin as being creations of Baphomet, but with higher intelligence levels and a more free will. Okay. So 4A Minotaurs kind of have to decide to either give in to their monstrous nature or be, and become thralls of Baphomet or to rise above that and reject their demonic brutality that tempts them. Is that like a red pill, blue pill situation? Uh, I or mean, I like- guess you could, yeah, you could kind of put it. It's, it's more like all of these minotaurs are born with this inherent connection to Baphomet that tempts them into doing things his way. Being okay. basically murdering rape monsters. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so if you are born a Minotaur, yeah. you're born into a family of Minotaurs. Right. Or you're born amongst cultists of Baphomet. So maybe it's, da- it's a it's a flip of the coin here. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, let's assume it's the it's It's a more civilized version. Yeah. Right. So like your dad is is a thrall of Baphomet. It's like Well, he's not though. Because he's civilized. Oh. Like okay. if you go down the dark path, you go all the way. And you're not like spawning new Minotaurs, like well, naturally. you are. I'm sure you're raising them to be evil as well. That's what I mean. Or it's like well, if dad, you're raising them at all. I mean, all I've ever known is dad is just into Baphomet, so like that's all. <laughs> so I, that's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but but Minotaurs that go that route aren't civilized. They're just monsters. So they're not raising their kids. No, Dad, I want to. I want to worship Bahamut. <laughs> you get out of my house. You get out of my house right now. <laughs> this is a Baphomet family. <laughs> I like your version better. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. Um, where where the fuck was I? <laughs> okay. So, um, worldview, more civilized minotaurs. Oh yeah. Okay. So let's get into the more civilized minotaurs. Um, these minotaurs outright reject uh, Baphomet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for these minotaurs, their instinctual preferences for labyrinths are not just their personality quirk. Um, it's actual philosophical outlook that helps them deal with their demonic nature so the labyrinth for them is a representation of the spiritual and psychological journey each minotaur must make to find peace in their conflict (laughs) i gotta find my way out of this (laughs) 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 they they have to navigate the perils of the self to transcend their bestial impulses right these are the hippies i was talking about earlier Uh, these are they're very sage-like in the way they live their lives a more sophisticated version of the thing definitely these minotaurs seek structure and proficiency in all that they do nice um basically they they seek to control 
uh, all that they do and their environment. Like they take great pleasure in perfecting their talents and may spend their lives mastering trades and combat techniques. Okay. Failure to these minotaurs is not seen as a flaw, but as an opportunity for growth, a way to better themselves and to just be better than what their forefather wanted them to be. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> So all in all, Fori provides a Minotaur race with a strong duality, either uh, this idea of like this fearsome killer versus a thoughtful learner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any questions about the Fori Minotaur? Uh, No. That's a basic rundown. There's not like a lot of fleshed out lore. They came out pretty late in the game for Fori. But um, I, mean, I, I thought I, it was pretty cool. Take. I really like the wholesomeness of the of the latter thing. You know? Yeah, it's um, it's a unique take. It's not like any of the other Minotaur lore that I know about. Okay, and so I I just really like the idea. It's a really cool thing that you can just blend right into your campaign, no problem. Yeah, that's how I picture as a <clears> racial. <throat> you know, if if there were Minotaurs in the campaign I was running, that's kind of mm-hmm. the incorporation I would I would use. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a great rendition. So let's move on to Dragonlance, mm-hmm. which has their own r- rendition of Minotaurs, and to me it's the most iconic and the most compelling version of the Minotaur, but that's just my opinion. Okay. Also, bizarrely, uh, it's my first introduction to Minotaurs as a kid. Like, I never even knew Minotaur as a Greek thing until, like, my teen years. Oh. Like, my my introduction to Minotaurs was the Dragonlance books, The Legend of Huma, and the spinoff novel, Kaz the Minotaur, which I highly recommend. And if you like Minotaurs, definitely read those books. Yeah. Because Kaz is the dopest Minotaur ever. So you ever. found out the, like, <clears throat> dark origins of the Minotaur, and you were like, she did what? <laughs> Well, oh yeah, I was like, whoa, I didn't know that's where Minotaurs came from. Hey, whoa. I thought they were really cool, honorable warriors. Slow down. (laughs) Indeed. So uh, rather than being conflicted between brutality and civility, Dragonlance Minotaurs are this bizarre blend of cruel ferocity and orderly conduct. So Baphomet is, okay, Baphomet is not a thing in Dragonlance. It doesn't exist. Okay. Minotaurs are not demonic in any way. Um, they are a result of an object known as the Greystone passing through the world of Grant. Okay. I, I got to explain this now because it doesn't make sense otherwise. So in the world of Dragonlance, the gods came from this all-father deity called Chaos. Okay. He was like Chaos in, in, incarnate. Um, they made the world, the gods made the world and all this, and Chaos fucking hated it because it's so stagnant and not chaotic. Yeah. So all he, this law. Yeah. So he did a bunch of stuff to fuck with it. <laughs> but all in all, he kind of just left them to their devices. Um, at one point, one of the gods named Rorix, who's like one of the major deity of the dwarves in Dragonlance, wanted to harness some of his father's powers. Okay. Um, and so he took a drop of Chaos's blood and encased it into this magical stone that he created because he's the greatest crafter in the universe. As a matter of fact, Rorix forged the earth with his hammer. Nice. He's really cool. But he didn't, he made a mistake. He didn't realize that like <clears throat> in, in trapping some of chaos was entrapping all of chaos because chaos is like all and nothing. Okay, sure. So by doing this, he accidentally encased his father in this gray stone. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then the gray stone became just infused with this like inherent chaotic power. So that cha- can't be controlled. Is it like one of those things where like, is it chaos is now just here and is emanating from here or chaos is here and everywhere all the time or whatever? 
it's chaos is trapped in this gem, and this gem has all the powers of the All Father. Oh man, <clears throat> so the All Father's super pissed. Oh yeah, very much so. There's He's a whole like, there's a whole storyline where he gets the fuck out. Oh it's, man, it's a great storyline. You know that theory where if you put a bunch of monkeys in a room full of typewriters, eventually they'll like type the script to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and like the All Father fucking hates the Wizard of. He read its script and he's like, "This sucks." Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, um, so basically, the Greystone can't be controlled, and it slipped out of Rorik's grasp and into the world of Kryn. Okay. And basically it just shows up every once in a while and fuck shit up. And one of the things it did is it showed up amongst the Ogre Empire. I think we talked about that in the Ogre episode. Transformed a whole bunch of them into Minotaurs and that's where Minotaurs come from. They're just world. Ogres. They're just, they're yeah, just they weird used to ogres. be Ogres. But also remember Ogres aren't the same thing in this world. Well it rewrote <laughs> yeah it rewrote yeah. the laws of physics. Yeah basically. exactly. Yeah it, it, that's exactly what it did. Well all things all things we, I said earlier aside that that's fucking cool. The oh, thing cool. you just said. Yeah, I thought I, that's what I thought. Yeah. So yeah. So uh so that you know, that all said implying oh yeah. So that's where Minotaurs come from. And just as a side note, implying to a Dragonlance Minotaur that they are in any way related to a a cow is a quick way to be fucking murdered. Oh, <laughs> they take serious offense at that. So yeah, <laughs> nice. Okay. So Dragonlance Minotaurs have a kingdom on two large neighboring islands called Mythis and Kothas. Um, they are infamous for being ruthless and having amazing martial prowess, and also for being the greatest sailors in all of Kryn. Nice. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, their society is based off of a might makes right philosophy, um, but not in the cliche way of barbarians. How do I explain this? Okay. So firstly, part of this might makes right concept is cunning is a key component for minotaurs. Um, intelligence is a cultivated attribute amongst them that's as important as physical strength when it comes to combat. Sure. Um, secondly, when it comes to this might makes right, honor is a major cornerstone of their society. So minotaurs are true to their word. They obey the laws and the hierarchies, not because of the physical threat of their superiors, but because the precepts of their society demand it to be so. Um, cunning is lauded, but dishonorable lies, trickery, or cowardice are unacceptable behaviors fit only for the lesser races in minotaur eyes. <clears throat> okay. The minotaurs are ruled by an emperor, and beneath them... Or yeah, beneath the emperor, a council known as the Supreme Circle of Eight. Each of these po posts are won by the cleverest and strongest of the Minotaurs in a combat trial known as the Circus. So the Circus is a thing that all Minotaurs must go through at least once in order to secure their position within the society. Okay. Um, you go there multiple times in order to advance. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um. Like Coliseum style. Coliseum style. Yeah, yeah this is, it's it's one on one combat in, in in an arena, gladiatorial style. Super interesting. Despite being born of like this sphere of chaos, they are extremely lawful. Oh yeah, that that part doesn't have anything to do with it. The 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 chaotic the Greystone is actually responsible for a bunch of bullshit. Okay. Um, it's it's responsible for gnomes being born into existence. It's it's responsible for countless bullshit in in the world of Kryn. Okay. But um, but yeah, they are very lawful. So, uh, uh, oh yeah, another thing. So Minotaurs, funnily enough, claim to have the only true classless society in all of Kren. Uh, basically, the idea is any Minotaur can be emperor. They just only need to defeat the current emperor in single combat. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. So besides the belief in their cartocracy, the other foundation of Minotaur society is family. Uh, the honor of one's family and one's family name is held in supreme um, consequence above all other considerations. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, yeah. Well, most most of the these closely held beliefs are due to the fact that for most of their history, the Minotaurs were slaves. At one point, they were slaves to the dwarves. At others, they were slaves to humans. 
and then for a huge portion of them, they were slaves and ogres. So like that's why they have this classless cryptocracy. It's a, it's about like it's about the success of the self. Like you yeah. are who you make yourself to be. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like my family is better than your family. It's more like well, my family is that like my bloodline is the emperor or whatever. So like by our our law, we are better. Or they don't view it that way. Do you kind of get? What uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do you mean? Because <clears throat> like you have to fight to be the best. Yeah. So like that, the emperor has a bloodline, and they're like about family and stuff. Like my family name is that? Am I yeah. That so right? by becoming emperor, obviously he's done great honor to his family name. Oh, okay. But, like, but his it's not son like it makes not... my family better than yours. It's not like that. Kinda like definitely though at certain times certain families well, will yeah, be higher it's like than the others. The facts speak for themselves. Exactly. It fluctuates, and okay. the more honor you do for your house, the better. Right. And so if it's you not disgrace like, your house, that's really bad. It's not like the bottom rungs couldn't be the top rung at any time. Exactly. The bottom rungs could be the top rung one day if right. they prove themselves. Okay. <clears throat> sure. So despite all of this nuance, Kryn Minotaurs are considered by most in the world of Kryn as completely fucking evil. And this <laughs> is because uh, the Minotaurs believe themselves to be the superior race and their aim is to bring the world to hill. Now, oh. obviously, there are Minotaurs that fall outside of this, Chasm Minotaur being one, but... Um, but yeah, that's the general society is like, we're the best. We're the best because of all these reasons. And one day we're going to rule everything, but not now because we're busy. So we are all technically equals, but everybody that is not a Minotaur is mm-hmm. going to be subjected that's to us. That's definitely how they see it. Wow. Okay, cool. So, but that being said, the, the Minotaurs are very, very nuanced. Um, they, they really ride the line between lawful evil and lawful neutral. And one of the coolest things, especially being a kid, was reading books where... Um, one of these minotaurs would end up getting paired off with uh, one of the Knights of Salomnia, which we talked about, I think, in the Death Knights episode. Mm-hmm. They're like the lawful good knights of the realm kind of thing. And it was always interesting. Whenever two uh, a knight and a minotaur ended up in a situation where it's like one-on-one and they have to work together, they end up finding out like there's way more in common with each other than you would think, especially considering the differences in their society. Yeah, It's okay. their, their holding of honor so dearly. It, it's always been an interesting... Uh, Duality to me. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's it for Kryn Minotaurs. Really quick, um, let's talk about Ravnica Minotaurs because that's where the racial stat block is, is in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. So the race write up on them isn't too detailed, but it seems to say that Ravnican Minotaurs are courageous and passionate warriors that belong to either the Gruul clan or the Boros Legion. Now, these are two of Ravnica's major guilds. Guilds are very important in Ravnica. There are 10 major guilds within the city that kind of influence everything. Okay. And there's kind of magic that's involved with that where all 10 guilds are always in power and their power is always equal. And it's like divine to be so by like ma- uh, law magic. Okay. But that's a story for another just day. cutting the pies, cutting it equally. Yeah, basically. Um, but long story short, they're courageous, they're passionate, and they're all about family and honor. All right, so, so pretty similar to the Dragonlance one, without the evil part. Because yeah, okay. they, yeah, they, for they, sure. The Dragonlance ones are, they do evil things, and their god is an evil god, technically. Yeah, if you're a if you are a Minotaur, you probably don't think you're evil at all, right? No, not at all. Yeah, you yeah, think you're exactly. the best. Yeah, and they think their god's dope as fuck. But if you're a party, not Minotaurs, mm-hmm. wandering into Minotaur land, you're, you're like, fucked. oh shit, yeah, yeah exactly. you're going to get dead real quick. Exactly right. Okay. So let's uh, quickly talk about the Minotaur uh, racial stat block. So as a Minotaur, you get a plus two to strength, a plus one to constitution. Um, Your size is still medium. Um, It says here you average about six feet in height or a little over. I would say you could probably just move that to seven. Yeah. Minotaurs are fucking huge. Yeah. Speed's about 30 feet. 
their horns are natural melee weapons. They do deal 1d6 plus your strength mod of bludgeoning damage. I think that should be piercing, personally. Well, yeah, you're going to really bludgeon weird. with a sharp Yeah, with your horn? fucking horn. Yeah, Let me make, bludgeon you with this spear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Definitely make that piercing damage. Um, you have a goring rush ability. Immediately after you use the dash, dash action on your turn and move at least 20 feet, you can make one melee attack with your horns as a bonus action. Isn't that like a feat you can do? Isn't that a feat you take? Like, I, a, like maybe. a tackle? I think so. I think so. Yeah, you just get it as a minotaur, which That's is pretty awesome. cool. Yeah, especially like as a fighter, it's like, oh yeah, I use the dash dash action to get into the action, and I get that nice little bonus. Attack. Also, I want to stab that guy. Yeah. Also, that. Yeah. I guess you could bludgeon people with the <laughs> well, horn if you like, because it's, it's actually that curve part or whatever. It's actually even more powerful because you also get a feature called hammering horns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Immediately after you hit a creature with a melee attack as part of your attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action to attempt to shove the target with your horns. Uh, I guess this is a separate thing. I thought it was attached, but I guess not. The target must be no more than one size larger than you are, so large, and within five feet of you, unless it succeeds on a strength saving throw against a DC equal to eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength mod, you push it 10 feet. So you got a nice little bonus pretty cool. pushing attack. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, you have a feature called Imposing Presence. You have proficiency in one of the following skills of your choice, intimidation or persuasion. Persuasion is more on the Ravnica side of things. Like, if yeah, you're sure. playing anything but a Ravnica Minotaur, you probably just make it intimidation, personally. Okay. But obviously, it's your world. Do do what you want. Yeah, okay. Uh, languages you can speak, read, and write common in Minotaur. Again, that's Ravnican. If you're going with uh, a more like traditional D&D, probably Abyssal. Abyssal. Yeah. And I do think that Minotaurs have their own language in um, the world of Kran. My camera just shut off. So we're at the end it. of the episode anyways. <laughs> so that being said, I think we can get ready for a long rest unless you have any other questions about Minotaurs. I have one question. Yeah. I've been saving it for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm just assuming based off of everything that we've talked about, that there is no difference from female to male uh, Minotaurs. Like, you know, a bull has horns, a cow does not sort of deal. Female Minotaurs do have horns. Yes. Well, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, it's just everything's just slighter and slightly smaller. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's about it. Yeah. That was my one question. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so that being said, let's get ready for our long rest. Uh, what did we want to talk about before we part with our listeners? Uh, the usual stuff like TDC Plays, where it's a gaming channel tied to the Dungeon Cast, where Will and I and others play video games for you to watch. And we do sick, funny commentary on it. We, well, I Pretty mean, much, I think yeah. it's okay. <laughs> do, don't you do voices for the... I do. They're not great. I've never been great at voices, but my sister laughs and, you know, that's what's important to me. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I I don't know if I'm going to be doing any games that require voices of me or could require... Like, nothing's going to require anything. This is everything we want to do. Indeed. Um, so, like, if it comes up, I'll do voices because I'm okay at voices. So, uh, but I'm going to do Mega Man. I might have done Mega Man. I don't know where we are. Yeah, life by is, the time this episode airs, we'll see. Probably some Smash will be up there. Life finally. is an amalgamation of yeah. scheduling. Conflicts. Oh yeah, I'm doing Zelda too these days too. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, yeah, we do we do lots. Go check that out. Please give us a subscribe if you want to help us out. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes for our normal YouTube channel. Um, are we having like a 10k party? Because we're definitely going to be approaching 10k. <laughs> yeah, by, I mean, in, by the time in, this episode March airs, maybe. Like, I don't even know. We'll do something. Yeah, I mean, I was being an optimist when I would say that before. I'd be like, who knows? Maybe we hit it. But like, right. no, we're definitely going to hit it anytime now. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you guys close. so much for helping us get to 10k on YouTube. Uh, our listenership is spread out amongst many platforms since we are a podcast first uh, product. But um, we really appreciate everybody that goes onto YouTube and watches. It really helps me and Will out uh, a lot. Um, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about our social media platforms. Twitter. 
Yeah. Um, at the Dungeon Cast. Indeed. Woo. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> the Dungeon Cast. Go find us there. We post stuff <laughs> about the show, about our lives, uh, memes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, news, polls. Are you still doing Yeah, I do polls? polls from time to time. That's how we ended up with the Vecna episode. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sick. Thank you guys for voting about Vecna. Um, let's see. Super Quest Saga, a actual live play. God. We play D&D. We film it. Yeah. It's in space. I, it's Space. pretty fucking fun. Um, I'm having a good time. Yeah, thank you, Josh Freeland and Jacob Casada. Yeah, we got um, links for all these things in the description. Yeah, and thank you to our sponsors. If you are interested in ad space for the show, um, we have spots at uh, Far in the Future for the front of the show. Uh, but we have short rest and end of the episode ad space. Please feel free to hit us up uh, the dungeoncast at gmail.com if you are interested in inquiring about that. Uh, we will discuss ad rates and, and space availability with you. Um, other than that, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. All right. I think we will call it a game. game. Talk to you guys later. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.